worship our Father God. Amen. Okay, I want everybody to be up and be excited to worship. My name is Monica Montes. I'm one of the elders here at Metro Priest Church with my husband. And I just want to share a short testimony with you guys. Um, this week when I was driving in the car, I was having the radio on and I heard a statistic saying that two out, three out of, no, two out of three marriages nowadays are divorced. And of those that stay together, they're together because of convenience or because of a child. And that really grieved my heart, thinking of how many relationships out there are actually together because they love each other, because they are meant for each other, and because they have God in their lives. And I realized what a big role I am playing in my son's life now because I know that it wouldn't, if it wouldn't be for God's mercy, I would have not been here today. I would not be married, happily married, having a son. And you all are a part of this because you are the next generation. You know, what example are you going to play in your children's lives? You know, so I just pray that we all are going to be grateful for what we have and not just asking God, you know, to have more and more and more because he blessed you already with a new life. He, he took you out of darkness. Amen. Okay, let me share um, a scripture with you. It's in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. It says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I pray that you all rejoice in it. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, my God. We thank you for taking us out of darkness, my God. We thank you for all the gifts that you, has, you have blessed us with already, my God. And we just pray for this generation. We pray for the generation to come to you and just to destroy those statistics, my God. We pray for 100% families living on your foundation, my God. We're going to be a better example, my God. We're going to put you first in everything we do, my King. Lord, we praise you and we worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, your throne endures forever, forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship and praise your God. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Come on, amen. We're going to learn a new song this morning. I want you guys to sing it. It's going to require you to move. It's going to require you to shout. We sing a lot of those songs here in this church, but we believe that Jesus... That God is worth it, amen. Come on. Come on, put your hands together this morning. Come on, let's sing it out to our God. Come on, sing in your life. Well, in your life, I find my strength, and in your truth, I overcome, and in your praise, I lose myself, for in your love, you turn my tears of sadness into such joy and gladness. My heart can't keep it, and I'm shouting, shouting. You turn my tears of sadness into such joy and gladness. My heart can't keep 
again. I'm shouting. Come on, sing it again. Come on, sing in your life. Here we go. Well, in your life, wanna hear you? I find my strength. Well, in your truth, I overcome. Well, in your praise, I lose myself. For in your love, hey! you turn my tears of sadness into such joy and gladness. My heart can't keep it, and I'm shouting, shouting. You turn my tears of sadness into such joy and gladness. My heart can't keep it, and I'm shouting. Come lift your voice and shout today. Here we go. Come on, sing in your joy. Well, in your joy, I find my strength. Well, in your hope, I overcome. Well, in your grace, I lose myself. For in your love, you turn my tears of sadness into such joy and gladness. My heart can't keep it, and I'm shouting, shouting. You turn my tears of sadness into such joy and gladness. My heart can't keep it, and I'm shouting. Come on, shout it out, shout out. Shout to you, Lord. Here we go. This is the part where you get to shout it out nice and loud. You ready? Whoa, 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 Turn my tears of sadness into such joy and gladness. My heart can't keep it, and I'm shouting, shouting. You turn my tears of sadness into such joy and gladness. My heart can't keep it, and I'm shouting, shouting. Come on, lift up your voice. We shout to Jesus this morning. We praise you, Lord. Come on, from our heart this morning, will you just decide that you're going to give Jesus the highest praise? Come on, it's not in the shouting, but it's from your heart. What's happening in your heart when God comes into your life, he changes it up, doesn't he? And this is why we sing, not so that we can come excited, or we can just be excited for excited's sake. Come on. But there's a God in heaven who sees us in this moment and in this time that when we worship, he's here. The Bible says that he is here right now. So would you just focus all your intention on him right now? God, we give you the praise in this place. 
We'll shout it out because, God, you are a good God. And even now, your spirit is at work in this service, God. And you're touching people's lives. God, you're bringing freedom. God, you're bringing joy. You're bringing peace, God. Right now, even in this time, God, we just release it and we declare. And this is the reason why we worship. Because you are a mighty God. We sing out to you, Lord. We sing out to you. Lord, sing out to you. Come on, just praise him in your own words. Come on, when I call. When I call on the name, you answer. When I fall, you are there by my side. Come on, sing you deliver. You deliver me out of my darkness. Now I stand. Sing it again when I call. When I call on your name. Come on, calling him. When I fall, you are there by my side. You deliver me out of my darkness. Now I stand in the hope. Come on, by grace. By grace. I'm free, you rescue me, and now all I am is yours. I found a love greater than life itself. I found a hope stronger and nothing compares. I once was lost, but now I'm alive. In you, I come alive in you. We sing it to you, Lord. We sing out to you this morning. Come on, you're my God. You're my God and my firm foundation. It is you whom I trust at all times. I give glory, I give glory and praise adoration. to my Savior, to my Savior who's seated on high. I found love, so I found a love greater than life itself. I found a hope stronger and nothing compares. I once was lost. Now I'm alive in you. Come alive. I found, Lord. I found a love greater than life itself. I found a hope stronger and nothing compares. I once was lost, but now I'm alive in you. I come alive in you. Whoa, oh, we come alive in you. Whoa, oh, come on. Metro praise comes alive in you. Whoa, oh, 
your disciples we come alive in you come on sing when I call when I call would you call you the name of the Lord this morning? When I fall, you are there by my side. You deliver, you deliver me out of my darkness. Now I stand in the hope Come sing of that again when I call. When I call on your name, we call on you, Jesus. When I fall, Praise of your people, God. Fill this place with your presence. We invite you in our hearts right now, this time. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Come bring your life. 
Come and bring your freedom right now in this place on every person. We're declaring that we're found in you, that you found us, Lord, through your son, Jesus. Come on, let's declare it, church. I found, yes, I found a love greater than life itself. I found a hope stronger and nothing compares. I once was lost, but now I'm alive. You praise them. We come alive. We come alive in you, Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. It's your name. We sing songs to you. You're worthy. Worthy, Lord. You're worthy, Lord. God, we, your people, we're excited this morning. To know that there's a God in heaven, not some man-made statue, not some idol, not some fairy tale, not some figment of our imagination, but there's a God in heaven who is meeting with us in these moments, and he feels the praise of his people. So right now, in an attitude of worship, would you just lift your hands up to the heavens right now as a sign of surrender to what the Lord is doing in this place? Come on. We come here for you, Lord. We don't come here for a show. Would you fill our hearts? Come fill the hearts of your people right now in Jesus' name. Move upon us. Move upon us now. Oh, yes, Lord. Come we're a church that believes in the gifts of the Spirit and that God still wants to move in his people. And he still speaks through his people. Come on. So right now we're just going to give some room for the Holy Spirit to just use his church. Amen. What an honor, what a privilege to be used by the Lord this morning. So if you feel led of the Spirit this morning to share a word, if you feel led to encourage, uplift the body, we're just going to allow the Holy Spirit some, some room and some time in our service in this time of worship.
that was a word for some of us this morning. If that was a word for you, would you just respond in faith? You don't have to jump or run around, but just in your hearts right now, would you respond unto the Lord? Come on. In your hearts, we decide right now, we're trusting you, Lord. It's only through your son, Jesus. Come on, we have time for one more word in this house. Just praise him right now. We thank you, God. You still speak to your people. Come on, that you're in heaven right now. You're seated on your throne and you give words for your people. Oh, that you would speak to us, oh King. God, we thank you. It's worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of all our praise. Come on. You are worthy of it all. Praise you, Lord. Point in closing, we're just going to sing this last song. Just describing his worth, amen. It's not that we can add anything unto the Lord. He is worthy because of who he is. He is glorious, amen. God, we praise you right now. Come sing, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. Come every voice. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things. To you are all things, and you deserve the glory. Come sing, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you, for from you are all things. To you are all things. Deserve glory. Come on, tell them this morning. You're worthy, Lord. We praise you this morning, God. Because of your word, of all you've done. We praise you, Lord. Oh, you're so worthy of it all. You're so worthy of it all. You're so worthy, Lord. Because you deserve the glory. Go sing it again. You are worthy. You are worthy of it all. Jesus, you are worthy of it all. For from you are things. And to you are all things. For you deserve the glory. You are worthy. You are worthy of it all. 
all our things. And to you are all thanks. We you deserve the glory. Lift your voice, shout it out. You serve the glory, Lord. Come on, we praise you now. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy, Lord. You're worthy, Lord. For from you all just a voice to sing it out. You deserve every voice. You are worthy. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. And you deserve the glory. Come on, sing it again. And you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. Yes, you are, Lord. For from you are all things. And to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Time you are worthy, you are worthy of it all, Jesus, and you are worthy of it all. For from you are all things, to you are all things, you deserve the glory. Jesus. Let's lift up our hands all across this room this morning. We're going to sing that again. Let's just think about Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Think about what he's done for you. Think about who he's been for you. What you've gone through just this week, what you experienced just yesterday. Let's think about his goodness and his glory. He is worthy, worthy, worthy of our praise. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Glory, glory, glory be unto your name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Jesus, you are worthy of it all, my life. For your glory. For from you. One more time this morning. One more time. Nobody else is worthy of our praise. He deserves everything. We live for him. Every part of our being, the very breath that we breathe comes from him. For from you are all Yes, Jesus. And to you are all things. You deserve the glory. You deserve the glory. We worship you this morning. I want you to thank God this morning for three things. Thank him for your family. Thank him for your help. Come on, lift up your voices this morning. Three things that you want to cry out to God this morning for in thankfulness, in thanksgiving.
Thanksgiving this morning. God, I thank you for my family. I thank you for our health. God, I thank you for your provision, for the vision that you've given to us to win the nations, God. I thank you for Metro Praise Church and all the disciples here. We thank you. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for life, God, and life abundantly. We worship you this morning, King of kings and Lord of lords. We are overflowing in thanksgiving. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to turn our attention this morning to going after God and seeking prayer for healing and sickness in this room and for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. If you need more of the power of God in your life, if you don't speak in tongues and you want to be baptized and the Holy Ghost, I want us to focus and switch our attention right down during this worship time to call on the name of the Lord to do that. So first we want to focus on sicknesses. If you are sick in this room in any part of your body, whether it's lupus, thyroid issues, cancer, migraines, whatever it is, I want you to just, if you're sitting, if you could stand up, if you could lift your hands, both of your hands up to the Lord, I want us all as a body of Christ to intercede and ask the Lord for healing in this place. And if you can simply, as you have your hands raised, just place one hand over the part of your body that is sick. And we're going to stand in the gap with you. And we're going to believe that the blood of Jesus will touch you and make you whole this morning. Hallelujah. If, you, if all the elders and deacons, if you can begin to just lift up your voices with me this morning. Jesus, we ask for healing right now over every single person in this room who has their hands raised who has their hand over that part of the body right now. I declare healing and wholeness. I lift up Cynthia to you right now, and I declare that the lupus will leave her body and flee right now in the mighty name of Jesus. From the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, I declare healing in Jesus' name. I declare every organ in your body to function, that everything will balance out. I declare that your blood levels will be normalized in Jesus' name. I speak to the lupus. Be gone right now in Jesus' name. You have no place in her body. Hallelujah, we worship you. Your word says that where two or three are gathered together in your name, you are in the midst. And we are seeking you this morning, God, for healing, for divine healing. By your stripes, we are healed. Come on, there's more in this room. There's more in this room. you got to be desperate for God this morning. Let's ask him. If we do not ask, we shall not receive. But if we knock and we keep on knocking, the door will be open. If we seek and we keep on seeking, he shall be found. God, healing over this congregation right now. You know every sickness, every ailment, God. I pray for a mighty touch of Jesus over every single person. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands around this room if you just want more of God. If you want to be baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. If you already speak in tongues and you just want a double portion. Let's go after God this morning. Ben, if you could keep singing that song, we're just going to go hard after Jesus. If you speak in tongues this morning, let's just speak it together. Let's fill the atmosphere in this room with the presence of God. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. 
Come and fill us up till we overflow. The rivers of living water rush in. Rise up from within our bellies right now. I pray for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Wherever they are seated right now, a double portion of your anointing, of your joy right now. Hallelujah. Be filled with the power of God. Receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit for power. For power. There's more, there's more, there's more of him to encounter, more of him to experience. Jesus, we're desperate, we're hungry for the presence of God this morning. Fill us up till we can't take it anymore. Woo! Let's close out and worship to this together, saints. Let's declare this over our city and over our families. And to you are all things. For you deserve the glory. You are one more time together. Yes, you are worthy of it all, Jesus. You are worthy of it all. From you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you in the beauty of your holiness this morning. We thank you that we could come into your presence. We thank you for the healing that is taking place in our bodies. We declare it done in Jesus' name. It was finished on the cross. We thank you, God, for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for power to do what you've called us to do and that every good and perfect gift is from above. In Jesus' mighty name, receive the glory and the honor that is due your name this morning to the preaching of the gospel, God. And in our lives, as we surrender to you, be glorified. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Give the Lord a hand clap this morning. Hallelujah. He is worthy. He is worthy. We want to transition this time for the King's kids to be dismissed from the service. You can look to your neighbor, shake their hand, thank them for coming. Let them know that it's so good to see them this morning. But if all the King's kids, kindergarten through fifth grade, if you can make your way this way to my right, your left, Monique is over there by the sound booth, and she will be able to direct the children. Hallelujah. God is good. And all the time, God is good. Praise the Lord. It's so good to see everybody here this morning. My name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the pastoral elders here at Metro Praise. And I'm going to preach to you this morning a message called the way of the cross. Everybody say the cross. If you could turn with me, please, in your Bible to the book of Mark, chapter 8. 
We're going to read verses 34 and 36. So we're going to hone in on the very important words that Jesus spoke to his disciples and to the crowd that was following. Everybody say crowd and say disciples. So Jesus always had his disciples around him and he always had a crowd. And these are the people that he is going to be speaking to in this passage of scripture. Mark 8, 34 through 36. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Everybody say deny. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? If you are in this room this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus or you've denied Jesus in your life, you don't believe he exists, you don't believe you need to live for him, if you were once living for him and now you have backslidden and you turned away from his commands, this message is for you this morning. The Bible does not promise us tomorrow, and Jesus did not come to institute a religion. He came to save us from our sin because we were going to hell for all of eternity. Our souls were at stake because our sin, evil, and wickedness separated us from a holy God. So Jesus came to take our place on the cross. And what his message to us now because he did all that he needs to do for you so that you could spend eternity in heaven. Jesus did his part. Now the rest is up to you. So if you know you are not right, if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, this message is for you. The Bible says through Jesus himself, these are Jesus' words. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself. That means you make him boss and you take your hands off of the steering wheel. You cannot be in the driver's seat of your life and expect to follow God according to his commands. You have to sit in the passenger seat of your life and allow Jesus to take the wheel. You have to deny yourself. That takes humility and the pride of life that you have in your heart that keeps you from God will keep you from entering heaven. And then he says you must take up your cross. The cross symbolizes suffering. Jesus was not tickled when he was crucified on the cross. He was beaten and bruised. His feet and hands were nailed to that cross and he was whipped. His flesh was torn. His organs were hanging out. Blood was dripping over every inch of his body. The cross symbolizes a place of suffering. And we as his disciples are called to carry that cross and so many people in churches today are afraid to suffer for Jesus they want an easy way they want an easy road they want an easy Jesus Jesus did not come to make our life easy he came to make our life possible he came so that we can make he can, we can have the possibility of living for him because with within ourselves it is impossible to be saved but Jesus, but Jesus, because he took our place, we can live for him. So we must deny ourselves. If you have not denied yourself before Jesus Christ, you must do so today. I plead with you, 
get right with Jesus. And you must take up your cross and follow him. Because if you want to save your life in this world, which is temporary, maybe 70 years max, give or take a couple of years, this life that we live on this earth is temporary. The Bible says that we are like grass in the field, here today and gone tomorrow. Eternity, your eternal soul is at stake. And you have a choice today of where your soul will be spent. Where will your soul spend eternity, heaven or hell? Because nothing in this life, nothing in this world is worth forfeiting your soul over. Amen? So somebody say crowd and disciple. Jesus spoke to those two people, and I'm speaking to you today. Some of you are crowd, you're visiting for the first time, or you're disciples in our ministry. We are all called to daily deny ourselves, deny our way, what we want in this life, what we think we need to have, and allow God to be our boss. Allow Jesus to be the master of your life. And we need to carry our cross daily. Amen. Let's close our eyes all across this room and let this message soak in specifically to you who are not right with God. You are lost. You are a sinner. The Bible says that we are enemies of God before Jesus came to take our place. If you have not allowed Jesus' entrance into your heart, the Bible says you are an enemy of God right now. So I want to pray, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to convict hearts of sin and wickedness, and I pray that you would humble yourselves and turn to Jesus today because you are not promised tomorrow. Lord, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you that you came to seek and to save the lost, and you came to make disciples. I ask, Lord, that this message that you spoke to the lost and to your disciples would penetrate our hearts this morning, that those who are not right with you, who, those who have never committed their life to you, would do so today that they would humble themselves before you, that they would deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow you, that we wouldn't be ashamed of suffering for you, God, suffering persecution because we live for you, God, that we would give up our life for your name's sake and for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name, convicts hearts this morning. Change lives. Your word says that it is your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. And I pray, God, that right now, that your loving kindness would flood our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen and amen. If you can stand up with me on your feet as the ushers pass out the printout to our confession of faith. If you were moved by this message of the way of the cross, and you want to get your life right with Jesus, you want to stop wasting time, you want to stop playing games, because you know you're headed down a road of destruction, after we finish saying this confession of faith together as a church, I want you to meet our life group leaders here. Monica and David, if you could both raise your hands, they will be here to pray with you, to receive Jesus into your heart. And if you want to plug into our discipleship, 
If you are saying, I need to be discipled, in order to be a disciple of Jesus, somebody needs to disciple you, and we are here to do that. So if you want to get saved right with God and be discipled in this church, please go to Monica and David. Ask them questions. Ask them to pray for you, and they will direct you. Amen? All right, on the count of three, let's say this together, our confession of faith unto the Lord. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus, we thank you for this day. Be glorified and be magnified in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor? Let's spend some time fellowshipping. Greet somebody that you have never met before. Greet one another as you make your way back to your seats. We're so glad that you're here this morning. Welcome to Metro Praise International. Amen. God is so good. Woo. Anybody in love with Jesus? If you're in love with Jesus, can I get a woo-woo? Amen, amen. How about, is there anybody here loving people? Can I get a woo-woo? Amen. See, right there, we're doing the vision. We're loving God. We're loving people. To me, those are the most important things we can ever do. And I want to invite you to come with us here every single week to join with us in what God is doing. God is showing up every Sunday here at 10 a.m. 
every Wednesday at 7 p.m. And elevate teenagers Fridays at 7 o'clock. Brother, would you just tell them what's going on right now in this new building? I know you all Check got one. some stuff maybe coming around for Halloween. Yes, tell us yes, what's yes. going on, Pastor Adam. Amen, amen. Last Friday was our first Friday. It felt good to be here. Um, some of the things that we got going on for the month of October. Um, we are having a joint service with Elevate Wicker Park. Ellie, could you raise your hand? The youth pastor over there, awesome guy. We are combining. Amen. Give it up for Ellie. Come on. Come on. Amen. We're having a joint service. We're having a rapper from Miami come on over. It's going to be tight. Costume party, the whole nine. So those are some of the things that we're doing. We're actually doing the, the Truth Project with our youth every Tuesday with um, here at the church. We have the big screen. We have every kind of screens in this church. So come on out at 6 o'clock Tuesdays, Fridays at 7 o'clock. Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for Pastor Adam and Elevate. Amen. I love what they're doing with the youth. It's tight, but it's right. Amen. Just keep reaching out to them. And then for everybody here, we got some good announcements going on for you tomorrow. Karis Ministries, who works with the abortion uh, uh, issue, they are offering alternatives to women having abortions. They're having a free banquet tomorrow at 6 o'clock at the Rosemont Convention Center, and they're going to tell us about their cause. We're going to pray for them, and then we're going to donate to their cause. So I would say come out to this dinner and then bring some shekels to donate to this cause because we don't want to be a church that just pickets and says we're against abortion. We want to offer an alternative. And they do free counseling for adoptions. They do free uh, ultrasound so that women who may be struggling with that decision of abortion can get an ultrasound and see the baby. Come on, somebody say amen. So come on out and consider supporting their cause. And then at the end of this month, we have a family fun night. Every uh, last Wednesday of the month is a family fun night. Can everybody say family fun night? Thank you. And this one is going to be a costume party, okay? So it's going to be like a harvest party. We're not going to be dressing up like Dracula or whatever. We won't kick your kid out if he does. But we're going to try to keep it like Christian, like Bible characters or princesses or things like that. I think my daughters are going to be two princesses. Where did Nancy go? She's in the back. They are. Th oh, yes. Two. With the princess from where? Sleeping Beauty. And what's the other one? Cinderella. Okay, awesome. So there you go. Come on out. And adults, this is not just for your children. This is for you. You can dress up. Uh, I think last time Berto dressed up in something funny. What was he, John the Baptist? Anybody remember what Berto was last year? It's funny when I talk about people, they just disappear. What was he? A friar. Okay, so that was a little weird. Friar monk, like a friar from Robin Hood. Is that what he was? I thought he was, was anybody John the Baptist? See, you were John the Baptist. Thank you. Thank you. You, gotta, you guys got to stay around you when I start talking about you. So anyways, that's going to be going on. 7 o'clock, free candy, free food. We got a porch patio out back, so we're going to be hanging out there. Refreshments for everybody. Bring your friends and family. And then this is what Metro Praise is about every single time you come here. Somebody say the vision. Can you say the strategy? And everybody say goal. Thank you. Never will change. Our vision, love God, love people. Our strategy, connect, mentor, and send. And our goal is 100,000 disciples, 50 churches here, 500 around the world. Where does that vision come from? To love God and people from the words of Jesus. Matter of fact, I want you to read this with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Somebody say, loving God, loving people. 
Thank you. See, that's where our vision comes from. Whenever you come to a Metro Praise event, we're going to focus you, your attention, your vision on that. And then our discipleship strategy comes from the very words of Jesus. We don't have to read the whole thing, but I want you to notice right here at the end. He says, go into all the world and teach them to obey everything. So should we be teaching to obey everything in this church? Amen. So whatever Jesus taught, we should teach. Can I get an amen? Okay, so if Jesus didn't teach it, should we command it? Do you know that they used to command women not to wear makeup? How many women are happy that wasn't a command found in the Bible? Amen. But they command not to have sexual, the Bible, Jesus said not to have sexual immorality. How many are happy for that command? You see, we don't want to add on to the commands what he did not command, and then we don't want to take away what he did command. And how do you get involved in this? As you join the discipleship strategy. You start by going to life groups. You then get plugged into our books that are one-on-one -on -one and then done in a classroom, and then you get sent out to change the world through evangelism. The process starts at life groups, and right now we have an awesome opportunity to join a life group. It's called the Truth Project. This is a series of lessons that every life group is teaching about the truth of the Bible, going through these lessons, and I think it's been going pretty good. Anybody excited about the Truth Project of Life Groups? I mean, really, is it touching your heart? Can I get an amen? Amen. So that's what's up. That's what time it is, baby. And I believe when we do the vision, we have a strategy, we can reach our goal of 100,000 disciples here. Amen? 50 churches. We already have two. Wicker Park's doing great, doing great right now. Sunday night's doing awesome over there. I think we can start 48 more. Do you believe that? Amen. And then 500 around the world. This church has a heart for missions. I want you to stand up as we prepare to give today with me, please. Stretch out your legs. Look at your neighbor and say, you make it happen. Come on, it's your neighbor that makes it happen. Together, we are better. Better together. If you don't help, it won't get done. I love it when people see what we do in the city and around the world and they ask, is this the congregation that does it? As if they were expecting a congregation of 1,000, 2,000. We boast in the heart of the people here, and I want to thank you for that. If you haven't joined with us, we want to ask you to compel you by the Bible to not do it just for our sake, but to do it for your sake. Because the Bible says when you seek first his kingdom and all his righteousness, the things you need will be added unto you. How many want to see us come out of this recession? Can I hear an amen? Do you know that the Bible gives us a surefire way of coming out of recessions? By putting his kingdom first. As we get ready to read the scripture before we give, it's going to tell you to give. Matter of fact, I'll just put it up here for you. It says give and it will be given back to you. That is the biblical principle. Do you know that America was founded on that principle? Do you know that capitalism is found on that principle? Let me just share this with you quickly. Socialism says we're going to take everybody's money and make everybody an equal class, and we're going to make sure there's no rich and there's no poor. And the way this mindset gets into people is it comes to poor people as a way, oh, this will help me. I'll get free insurance. I'll get free health care. I'll get free this, free this, free that. Well, then what they don't understand is when you look at socialist countries or nations that have taken on this kind of philosophy, Marxism, you look at Russia, you look at China, you begin to look at Venezuela, different countries that adopt this, and you begin to see that the poor really aren't being taken care of. The promise really doesn't come true to them. You ever hear about the poor in China, how miserable their lives are right now? Russia, 
their lives are absolutely miserable because when they looked to the government and they told the people, give us all your wealth, we're going to spread it out, it always fails. God didn't intend the government to be our source. God gave us the principles of what we now know as capitalism in the Bible where people would go out and work, harvest their own field. They would give some to the Lord. They would give some to the poor and the hurting out of their own finances. And then the rest they would build wealth with and prosper. Do you know that's what made the nation of Israel great? No one had to force them to not be rich to give to the poor. They gave out of their own heart. And if you go to the book of Acts, don't you know that that's what the church is supposed to be doing? The church is supposed to be helping the poor and the hurting. Do you know that many of the, uh, the hospitals are owned by churches? Do you notice that? By their names and by their different, uh, you know, un like you go to Lutheran Hospital. Who do you think owns Lutheran Hospital? Are you guys following me? Methodist Hospital. Have you ever thought about that? You know, we used to go to the one on Addison here and uh, Central or... Yeah, Lady of Resurrection. Who do you think owns Lady of Resurrection? <laughs> Hello. But now they cost just like everybody else costs money. Their hospitals cost just as much as everybody else's. Private schools, they still say, are the best. Charter schools now are imitating that in our society. But private schools are so expensive. Hospitals owned by churches are so expensive. Imagine if those denominations, those people, began to lower their rates so that they could give that health care, not cheap health care, but give good health care to people who really needed it. Wouldn't that just solve the problem right there? Some of y'all looking at me crazy talking about this on a Sunday morning. I ain't talking Republican, Democrat, liberal. I ain't, I'm just talking principle. Do you understand what I'm saying? In this church, this is how it applies. And I see some of y'all just hot. Nancy, would you kick on the AC forum, please? Thank you. I want y'all to understand this as we get ready to give. You may be thinking to yourself, well, pastor, I'm not rich, therefore I don't give to the church. I'm waiting to get rich. I'm waiting for another job. I'm waiting for something to change in my finances before I start participating. And the Bible says that is incorrect. When we all give our 10%, when we all put it into here, we will have more than enough, and we can begin to disperse the extra that we have to this community. That's the biblical goal, amen? So I want to challenge you. Give 10% of your total income, no matter what you have, to God, not to a man, but to God. To Give it to him, saying, Lord, I'm doing this for you. And then number two, if you want to give beyond that, give to the offerings so we can give to missionaries, so we can give to those third world countries, many of them suffering under Islamic and communist rule. And if you want the building to be upgraded, if you want another bathroom, if you want a flat screen for Bebe in the back there in the children's room, if you want a better van to pick you up with the elevated you know entrance kind of like that just put some zeros at the end of your check baby and we will do that thug thistle for the low for shizzle amen i'll come in here floating on wings from the rafters i'll do whatever just give if you want that to happen i'm getting silly now let's pray lord help me lord forgive me god i thank you that today we're able to give not always out of abundance, sometimes out of our lack and our need, but we're still able to give. 
And I thank you, Lord, that we put you first. And I thank you for a church that everybody does their part and helps out, and that's what makes it great. And, Lord, I ask now for a blessing on our nation, for those who are looking for jobs to find jobs, for those in politics to get rid of corruption, big businesses to get rid of corruption, and, Lord, for the free market to flow in righteousness, Father God, for business owners and politicians and employees to be blessed. God, I'm just saying what our founding fathers have always said, God, bless America. Bless this land. It's one nation under you, God. And Lord, we ask you to do it for our children and our children's children. And take care of us, God, as we take care of others. And we look to Pakistan and Nigeria and these places that are suffering, God, as we give mission monies, God. Would you take care of them? Would you open doors of freedom for them? Relieve them from their oppressors. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Can everybody say amen? Let's say this on the count of three and believe it today. One, two, three. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Will you come forward rejoicing as you give today? Thank you so much. Also want to remind you we have online giving. Thank you. Shouting, shouting, you turn my tears of sadness into such joy and gladness. My heart can't keep it, and I'm shouting, shouting. Amen. Will you open up your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1? If you're feeling the air conditioning, can I hear an amen? Amen. Come on. We're getting cool in the spirit. Glory to God. I'm so glad that you're here. We're in a series, Cloud of Witnesses. Would you put it up there for us, brother? Last week, if you weren't here, we talked about the faith of Abraham. Did that encourage anybody here about the faith of Abraham? Amen. Keep the faith. If you ever need to be encouraged again, know that the website always has the uh, messages from last week up there. You can check it out right now. Also, if you want to keep up with us in the notes, you can go to Facebook. Yeah, young people right there, you cool guys. You cool guys. Yeah, the ones looking at me like you're still so cool, like Fonzie, like, hey, oh, yeah, you. You can go to your phone, and you can see the notes right there and all the young people here. You know what's so awesome is being a part of a young church, you feel young. Can I hear an amen? People, like, try to put me down with that. Like, look at all the young people there. Like, shame on us. Shame on us for having young people in church. I'm sorry I didn't have a nursing home ministry. You know, it's like, did you see me? Have you ever looked at me? Do I look like that pastor? Praise God for nursing home ministries, though, amen? I'm not the spiky-haired pastor anymore, though, you know what I'm saying? It's okay. I just got so tired of maintenance, man. I could talk about it all day. I won't, but I'll talk about it a little bit. So, like, I started with, like, that, like, Jersey Shore blowout, you know, when I first came here, like, eight, nine years ago. It looked really cool like that. And literally, like, I was, like, having to frizz it out, and it was taking so long. I can't believe I'm talking about this right now. But the look on your faces is amazing because I can tell you're interested. 
It's like, you're like, tell me, Pastor. Really, I wanted to know why you cut your hair. Okay, so I used to do the blowout. And then I went to kind of like a more mature blowout, a little bit shorter than what you, you know, what you guys were seeing normally. So it was the blowout than that. And that was like what you saw. It was what I had for like four or five years. And so it's just every morning spiking it, the gel, you know, it just was taking so long. So I just said, cut it off. And then who was my inspiration? Clooney. Clooney was my inspiration. Of course, I'm no Clooney. And, and ladies, you don't need to remind me of that. That's okay. My wife still loves me. So I have, I have this picture that I carry around. You know, I say, well, you know, I'm not a Clooney, but I think I can, uh, you know, John Travolta, I think I can hang with him because he has a little bit rounder of a head. So I kind of keep this picture of John Travolta and his, and his haircut with me. That's what I do. And it makes me feel special. It makes me feel like, like I can't hang with this guy. I can't hang with Clooney, but I can hang with him. I don't, got, I don't got the blue eyes, but I think I'm all right. Come on. But thank God I'm married because it don't matter anymore. I belong to her. Amen. And if she leaves me, I'm following. So there's no way. No, this ain't ever going to change. You know what I'm saying? All right. So today, biblically speaking, we're not going to talk about haircuts. We're going to talk about Moses and humility. It's going to be awesome. And this is just, by the way, one of those messages. Like when God was telling me in the series, I want you to talk about Moses and his humility. It was like a big gulp. And it was like, gulp. Like humility, really. This is going to be tough. You know what I'm saying? Like if you look at me, you may say he's bold, he's awesome. But you don't necessarily look at me and go, Joe's so humble. Right? I mean, that, let's be honest. I mean, I'm a nice guy. I love Jesus. But that's not necessarily the attribute that you may think of me. Where's Hosolito? Because that's a guy when you think of humility, we don't want to make him feel proud. There he is in the back. There's a humble servant of God. Give it up for Hosolito. But by God's grace, I want to teach it. Preach it, and then I'm going to live it. Amen? With you all today. Next week, we're going to talk about the worship of David, the guy who wrote the book of Psalms. So we're going to learn about what inspired him to be the worshiper that he was. Does anybody love worship? Does anybody like worship in this church? Amen? Aren't you all waiting for an album from this church? Dude, wouldn't that be awesome if the church already had recording stuff set up and all the worship band had to do? Where's the worship leader? It's just practice and hit record. Wouldn't that be awesome if we had that stuff? I think we do. So everybody just go, Adam, do it. Amen. And then the, uh, the 28th, the last week of the month, we'll talk about the prayers of Jeremiah. Some of y'all, you just got to come for that. It's going to be powerful. You're going to learn about the book of Lamentations. There is a whole book of prayer about a man of God and him dealing with a wicked nation. We need to learn that because we are living in a wicked nation. But there's still hope. Can I hear Amen. All right, let's turn to Hebrews 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to start this off in our series. And um, Andrew, would you keep this scripture up there? Thank you. And then when we go back to the notes, we'll do that. This is our series scripture where we get cloud of witnesses from. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race out the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Everybody say, run the race. 
Amen. This series is to encourage you to run the race. And we're talking about a cloud of witnesses because the Bible says as you're running your race down here, there's a cloud of witnesses up there in heaven. Wherever heaven is, there are people in the stands watching you run your race today. And they're not just any kind of fans. They're not just people sitting back like Monday morning quarterbacks complaining about how things could have been. These are people who have completed their race. So it would be like playing the Super Bowl in front of people in the stands who have all won the Super Bowl. It would be like being in the World Series with people in the stands who have all won the World Series. Are you all listening to me? The point that we get from this is you can run your race looking to Jesus and the motivation of others can inspire you. If you'll look to Jesus and know that if he did it for them, he'll do it for you, you can get motivated. Two things you'll have to do. Let go of your hindrances. Hindrances are not sins. These are things that maybe somebody can do but you can't do. For example, if you're a single young adult and God says, I don't want you to date yet. That's between you and him. That doesn't mean you go tell every single person to stop dating. But if you run in your race trying to date right now is a hindrance, he'll say, don't do it. Remain single. Can I hear an amen from all the singles? Amen. amen. And sometimes it's okay, singles, to what? Mingle. But it may not be your time. And when it is your time to single mingle, we'll put a little cafe in here, put a little candlelight on, put a little berry manilow, not, not, not all green, but maybe a little berry manilow, you know what I'm saying, some sparkly grape juice. We'll hook you up, but it's got to be the right time because if you get off track, it might, you might get in some trouble. And now that's just one example. Another example, a hindrance could be some of you working your job. You know, uh, there are certain jobs that put stresses on you and your family. And God may just say that job particularly is not for you. You know, somebody else may be able to work it, but maybe it's a third shift and, and you're going there and you're sacrificing family time and you're, you're grumpy when you're at home. And God could be saying, you know what, that job will actually cost you your marriage. It's a hindrance. Now, that doesn't mean you go tell every person working a third shift, no, this, this is not for you, that's the devil, but it's you and God. See, the first thing when we're running a race, we've got to get rid of hindrances. People who run marathons don't carry around weights. They don't carry dumbbells. Are you all tracking with me? They've got to let it go. The second thing is sin. Everybody say sin. Thank you. Now, this is the same for everybody. What God calls sin is sin. When he says don't lie, don't lie. You cannot run your Christian race lying. You cannot run your Christian race as a drunkard. You cannot run your Christian race as an adulterer, a fornicator. Galatians 5.21 lists out these things that, man, if you got them on you right now, you need to come to this altar and drop it like it's hot. You just need to think of that sin like a hot potato, hot potato, and just drop it like it's hot. Amen? Just come up to the altar worker today and say, I've come to drop some things like it's hot. Amen? We understand what you mean. you got to get the junk out of the... Trunks. See, y'all catching on to my little preacherisms here, amen? But what does he say more importantly than just doing things? Because we can't do enough, really, to finish this race. We have to have Jesus to help us. And the Bible says Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. I love what it also says about Jesus in Philippians, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day he comes back. How many of you have run your race for more than a year as a Christian and you felt some bumps along the way? So people who've been saved more than a year, all right, and you felt some bumps. Come on, keep your hands raised. But how many of you made it through? Amen. You came here this morning, right? 
And I pray that in your heart you're still following Christ and he's still giving you strength. Those scriptures in the Bible, like greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, applies to you, not just to finding a good parking spot as you go, uh, you know, out to eat today. It's applying to the person who is wanting to live for God, but they experience troubles. You can make it and you will. Can I hear an amen? So he authors your faith, he gives you that ability, he perfects it, he works it through you, and then the Bible says that he found joy by going to the cross. You can find joy in your pain and suffering, trials and tests, if you see him as your reward. So when Jesus went to the cross, why was he okay with dying and crucifying? Because he could look past the cross and he could see all the sons and daughters that he would have in the kingdom of God. Are y'all tracking with me? There was something set before him, the joy set before him, the Bible says he could endure the cross. So you're now going through problems and troubles. Who or what is your reward? Jesus is your reward. So you look towards one day being with him as a son or a daughter forever dwelling in the house of the Lord. That's your joy. It's like, God, I'm going to make it. You're not going to leave me. And one day I'm going to be with you forever. Amen. And the Bible says that that can encourage you to run your race. Here it is in summary. You're running a race. There's a cloud of witnesses, people who have already run their race that are cheering you on. As you're running, you let go of your hindrances, you let go of your sins, and you look unto Jesus. Jesus gives you the faith, and he perfects that faith. As you're looking unto Jesus, he sets a joy before you, a goal, so that when you're suffering, you could say, it's worth it for me to go through this. And he says, you will make it. Everybody say, I will make it. Amen. Now let's go to the character who we want to learn from today. He is Moses. As we put up the notes here today, I want you to look at some of the history about Moses. Last week we talked about Abraham, and I'm going to re review some of the history here because I want this to be Sunday school for adults. I want you to really understand these were literal people. Sometimes we just think about them as mythological people. No, these were actual people of history. How did uh, Moses come to be? Well, first God created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned. Then Adam and Eve had children. Those children grew in wisdom and population. And I don't know if anybody checked out answers in Genesis.org, but I'm telling you what, man, there is a fight right now to believe whether or not we came from monkeys or from God. I think some of you need to go back and research that to understand what evolution will misinform you of in the way you think about life. Because if you think you came from an animal, then it must be okay to act like an animal, right? And if you came from an animal, then that baby in your womb is just an animal. You can have an abortion. And if you came from an animal, then that means your life doesn't have purpose. So you can rip off people if you're in government. You can rip off people on your job. You can do whatever you want because you'll just die like an animal. See, see how evolution changes perspectives? But if you're a creator, of God, you have to give an account to God, keep God's commands, and one day God will either reward or bless you. It makes a difference when we think about where we came from. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So we learn about this, that we came from Adam and Eve. We did grow in wisdom and population, but by the time of Noah, man was wicked. God destroyed the world because of a flood. Then that flooded world receded, the waters went away, and six people came out of the ark. Noah and his, uh, excuse me, eight people, Noah and his wife, Noah's three children, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their three wives. Then from the lineage of Shem, everybody say Shem is where Semitic people come from. Come on, we'll say it again. Say Shem is where Semitic people come from. Thank you, I said it faster to help you. Shem is where then 
Abraham comes from. And then Abraham has what is called the Jewish lineage because he's the first one called to be a Jew. So he has a child, Isaac. Isaac has a child, Jacob. And Jacob has Joseph and the other 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob's name, which means schemer, is actually changed to Israel in his life's journey. And Israel means chosen by God. Then, because Jacob and his children lived out in the desert, they experienced a famine, but Joseph, one of his sons, was brought to Egypt to become a leader there, worked under the Pharaoh, and because of Joseph's blessings, Jacob and them moved to Egypt. So if you ever want to know how the Jewish people ever got to Egypt, it was because God spared them from a famine during the time of Joseph. And the story of Joseph is awesome, and, and, and being named Joseph in my full name, I relate to him so so much and all of the struggles that he went through. But when Joseph died, the Bible says Pharaoh forgot about the covenant that Pharaoh, the previous Pharaoh, had made with Joseph and the Israelites. And as he forgot about that covenant, he saw the Jewish people grow and become stronger and blessed. And he said, guess what? We got to make these Jewish people slaves. And that's how they became slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then Moses was born in 1526 B.C., okay? So this is the story about Moses. Everybody say Moses. Anybody ever see Prince of Egypt? Just think about that, okay? Just think about the prince of Egypt. Think about this child growing up, and then he becomes Moses, a deliverer. This will help you understand, okay? Now, here's some major highlights of Moses' life. There are so many things to talk about Moses. He is, the most, uh, he is the most detailed person of the entire Old Testament. And as a matter of fact, the Old Testament books are bigger than the New Testament books. So there's more written about uh, Moses than there is written about Jesus. That doesn't mean he's better than Jesus. It just shows you how much he was looked to as a leader. So I tried to summarize this to 10 points, and I want you to learn about Moses because I know many of you have heard of Moses, but you may not understand his story. And if you are going to learn from him and be encouraged by him, you've got to understand his story. A lot of times when I talk to people, they want a quick answer to their problems. They don't want to hear the story. A lot of times you need to hear a story to be encouraged. You see, if you came to me with a problem, let's say you lost your job, what do you want me to do, just be a magician, Boop, pull out another job out of a hat and say, here you go? Sometimes I would rather tell you the story of Moses and say, you want to talk about needing a job? Moses killed somebody and was out in the desert for 40 years before God gave him back his job. Now you might go, oh, man, waiting 40 years to get a job? I can relate to that. That's what I feel like right now. Can I hear an amen? Do you understand? That's how they become our witnesses. That's how they become an encouragement to us. So I don't want you all to get bored right here. I don't want to see you all check out because I could just come here and be like, like how God blessed Moses. He's going to bless you. He's going to take you out of the desert. You're going to the promised land. Slap your neighbor high five. Come on, slap him high five and say, you coming out of Egypt. You're going into Israel. Hallelujah. I could do that right now. Just please, your pastor, I like it better like that. But you don't learn anything. You don't learn anything. Are you all listening to me? I got to give you these 10 points so you can understand who Moses was, what he was like for 40 years in the desert. That's why he was called humble. 
I'll just give, give you a little bit of a taste of the end of the message right now. The reason why he's called humble is because he faithfully served God for years and years and years. When nobody else wanted to at different times, when everybody persecuted him, he kept serving God. That's real humility. Can I hear an amen? All right, let's go through these ten points. Here we go. Professor Joe here. Preacher Joe will come back, okay. Pharaoh made an edict to kill all the Jewish male children. And then Moses was spared by his mother and sent down the Nile River. So right at the beginning of Moses' life, we see that he is born in a time of tragedy. Things are going bad for the Jewish people because the, the, pharaohs are so, the pharaoh is so jealous of them and hates them so much that he says he's going to obliterate them by killing their male children. But the mother, she, uh, she keeps this baby, and then she puts it down the Nile River. Then she is, uh, the, the baby is found by Moses, uh, excuse me, Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter takes him out the river and raises him in Pharaoh's palace. Number two, Moses grew up, and as, uh, grew up as an Egyptian, but he knew he wasn't a Jew. And when he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, he then killed that slave, uh, excuse me, he killed that slave master, and then he had to run away and hide because they were going to charge him with murder. So everybody understand this. Moses was born in a time when they were killing Jewish people. His life was spared. As he got older, he saw a slave master whipping and mistreating his own people. He then kills that person out of anger, and now he knows he's going to be put in jail or put to death. So he runs away. He goes to Midian. He marries the daughter of a Midian priest. The man's name was Jethro, and he marries Zipporah, and he lives as a shepherd for 40 years. So I want you to understand, right here at the beginning, point three of Moses' his life. We're already, he's 80 years old. 40 years he lives in Egypt. He kills somebody. He runs to Midian and now he is a shepherd for another 40 years before the angel of the Lord shows up in a burning bush. You want to talk about going through some problems? How about waiting 80 years for the Lord to show up in a burning bush? Amen. That's when you're just like, Lord, I don't care how you come. Just come, Jesus. You can set this thing on fire. I don't care. Just come. He was desperate. Number four, the angel of the Lord, who we believe is Jesus. Remember we talked about at the beginning, they looked unto Jesus, uh, and we should look unto Jesus. Well, when we look back in the Old Testament, we believe that these visitations are actually called Christophanies. That's the big theological term. And what that simply means is that the Father, he's always been in heaven, and he's always used his Son. The Son did not take flesh until 2,000 years ago, but all that time, the Son showed up as the messenger of the Lord. When we think of angel, we think of a, a being with flapping wings, but the Hebrew and Greek word for angel simply means messenger. So it's simply saying the messenger of the Lord came in that burning bush, and we know that was Jesus. Then we go to number five, Moses, oh, and Jesus shows up and says, I want you to go back to Egypt and to deliver the Jewish people. That's Exodus 3 and 4. And by the way, all of this is found in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The four, uh, four books there uh, are found the life of Moses. Number five, Moses and his brother Aaron go to Pharaoh and command him to release the people, but only after ten plagues. How many know about the plagues going to Egypt? Here they are, water to blood, frogs, gnats, flies, death of livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and the death of Egypt's firstborn son. Finally, Pharaoh releases the people. How many know sin will make a fool out of you? Dude, if you see the first sign, the water turned to blood, you should have just, you know, Pharaoh should have just been like, here, take these people and go on and get out of here. 
But it's the next thing, the next thing. He still does not learn. As a matter of fact, after all of these ten plagues are done and the people are going out into the desert, he chases after him. Pharaoh, this is how foolish sin will make you. And while he's chasing after him, he sees God part the Red Sea. And what does he say to himself? I'm going to run in that Red Sea and try to get him. Dude, the same God... The same God who sent all ten of these plagues is the same God miraculously holding up the water. Why would you run in there? You would think if you were him and you see the water being miraculously held up, Moses, his hands outstretched, you would just be like, okay, dude, it's cool. I don't know what I was thinking, man. You win. But sin, everybody say sin, will make a fool out of you. Oh, yeah, you see, when we look at Moses' life, we can't help but notice that while God is blessing Israel, he's showing us the curse of sin. I know so often we don't want to see people go down this path, but I want you to understand this. Like Pharaoh, if your friends, your family do not heed what Jesus is saying to them, it doesn't matter what goes on, it will not work in their life. Sometimes I've watched people lose jobs, and I'm like, okay, maybe now they'll come to the Lord. Still doesn't help. Sometimes I've seen people get locked up. Still doesn't help. Nothing will convince an unspiritual person to accept Christ except they open up their heart. God will not make anybody come to him. See, we're going to talk about the opposite of humility is pride, and Pharaoh shows us the heart of pride, which is he did not want to do it God's way. No matter what it cost him, he didn't want to do it. We then see in number seven that Moses leads the people throughout the desert and he meets with God on Mount Sinai and is given the law. And there we believe he becomes the author of what we call the Pentateuch or the Torah. It's the same thing. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. Moses becomes the author of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy while he's up there hanging out with God face to face. And when he says, God, show me, excuse me, show me your glory. And, 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 and God says, I cannot show you my face, but my glory will pass by and you will see the hinder parts of me and then the Bible says he held him in a cleft of a rock and then he passed by that is Jesus showing up if Jesus would not have covered him Jesus in his glory when his fullness seen his face would have struck him dead but he could only see just the back parts of Jesus moving as he came by the rock some of y'all looking at me crazy y'all need to read the Bible okay because Moses got to see God in the Old Testament amen oh Lord help him feel a little bit like Moses Some of y'all got that. Okay, number eight. The Jewish people then come to the promised land as 12 spies are sent out, one from each tribe. Joshua and Caleb are the good ones. But all the rest of them say, we cannot get this promised land because the people are too big. Therefore, God then curses the Israelites, and that's now why they have to be in the desert for 40 years because he says the only people that are going to be able to see the promised land are Joshua and Caleb. The rest of y'all, you're dying here. I want to back up and explain that to you. They are being brought from Egypt to the promised land, which we know is modern-day Israel. They go through the Red Sea. They are traveling. It only took them a few months, maybe a year at the most, to go from A to B. Bam, they were there. They then send out spies into the land and go, this is the land that God promised us. The only problem was somebody else lived in the land. They were Canaanites there, but God said, I am with you. Now, you would think if you saw God just pimp slap Egypt like he did, bring down those ten signs, drown the army in the middle of the sea, which is like the biggest army possible. Are you all tracking with me? You would think when you're over here at Jericho with the spies, you would be, I don't care how big they are. My God is going to crush these people like ants. But they don't do it. 
10 out of the 12 leaders that go, go, they come back to Moses. They go, no, we can't do it. We're going to die out here. They're giants. They're going to die. And then, you know, you got Joshua and Caleb. They're like, yeah, there's giants there, but there's giants, grapes. There's a lot of milk and honey, and there's a lot of blessing in the land. But because the people would not listen, and they then all took the side of those 10 spies, God then said, I'll destroy all of them right now, and Moses, I'll just keep you and Joshua and Caleb. I want you guys to understand this. God literally said to Moses, read it, Numbers 13 and 14. He says, I will kill them all right now, and we'll start another. So some of y'all hear me teasing about my kids, you know, oh, he's just kidding. Like, he's got to make five in case one. No, I'm just talking like Jesus. I'm dead serious. That's what Jesus said. Of course, I ain't going to hurt him. Are y'all listening to me? But I'm just being, I mean, that's how God talks. He does not play. Like you're thinking, like if I don't live for Jesus on this job, ain't nothing going to happen, God. No, God will get you fired and bring in somebody twice as on fire as you. God doesn't need you. He uses you, but he does not need you. Are you all listening to me? God is God with or without you, baby. He ain't sitting up there fretting and having, well, what if they don't come to church? When we don't, you know, like he's planning it only through you. He's got five more replacements for you if you don't show up. Are you listening? If I mess this thing up, we got preachers to take my place. Amen? We believe that things aren't built on men. They're built on God. But the thing that blows my mind here when you get to Moses and his personal life is he pleads. He pleads for these people. He says, God, don't kill them. Even though they're full of doubt, even though they don't want to go to the promised land, don't kill them, God. And God says, okay, I won't strike them dead right now. I just won't let them go to the promised land. They're going to die of old age in this desert. Somebody go, oh, snap. He ain't playing. And while leading the Jewish people in the rebellion for 40 years, could you imagine that? I mean, just take rebellion times a million. There's probably about a million people out there in that desert, and they are rebels against God. Their hearts are hard. They now know they've been cursed, and they're not going to the promised land. They have an attitude over everything. And Moses, one day, while he's angry with them, and they're begging for water because there was no water in the desert, he takes his uh, rod, and he strikes the rock twice out of anger. And then God says to him, now, Moses, you've messed up. I will not let you enter the land of promise. You'll only see it. You want to talk about God having a standard that's higher than ours, friend. Let's just listen to that. Even after Moses and those people, he spared, he, he could have said to God, kill them. And it would have been over. But because he pled for them, he pleaded for them, and they were given another chance, it ended up causing him and his frustration to lose the opportunity to go to the land of Israel. It teaches me two things. Number one, it teaches me something about God. God never changes his standards. It doesn't matter if you're Moses, the pastor. It doesn't matter who you are. God's standards never change. You better follow God. Amen? And the second thing is that it shows is that even though Moses was so humble, he sometimes made mistakes. And as we get into some of his mistakes, you're going to learn he was called the meekest man who walked the face of the earth, and yet the Bible teaches us at times he didn't listen to God. Is there anybody here that has ever not listened to God? Well, then there's hope for you in the story of Moses. Amen. Number 10, and I don't know if anybody saw my, uh, my Facebook status to come to church today. I said we'll be talking about humility, and anybody who lives out humility perfectly, you're welcome to stay home and pray for us. But for the rest of you all, I'll see you here. Amen. There's some empty chairs there, so we just got to really pray for them religious folks. Amen. Because they're like, oh, really, I'm perfect, and now I know I am. So, you know, those are the worst kind of people, aren't they, the ones who never think they deal with pride? Because isn't that kind of like a sign like you're dealing with pride if you're telling us you never deal with pride? Like, I'm never prideful. 
I'm always humble. What are you talking about, Willis? It's like, come on, man. What are you talking about? Well, you are the prideful one here. It's telling us how not prideful you are. Okay. That's, that's a sign that you're in pride, amen, is when you're yelling about how you're not in pride. Can I get an amen from any of the women here, any married women? Come on, amen. Amen. Number 10, Moses appointed Joshua to succeed him and bring the land into the, uh, bring the people into the land of promise. Mo Moses saw the uh, promised land from Mount Nebo, and then he died in Deuteronomy chapter 34. So let me just sum up his life real quick. He is born into a time that the people are living in Egypt. They are being oppressed. They are being oppressed for 400 years. Now they start killing the male children. God says, I've had enough. I'm going to deliver them. Moses is spared, sent down the Nile River. The Pharaoh's daughter picks him up. He then lives in Pharaoh's house. He's taught in all of the ways of Pharaoh, the Bible teaches us. At one time, at 40 years old, he sees one of his fellow Hebrews getting beaten. He acts out of anger, kills them, runs away to the desert where he marries, starts a family as a shepherd for another 40 years. While he's there, God shows up, tells him to go be a deliverer. He does. He brings them out into the desert. They act rebellious. He stays with them and then God has him appoint these two men that were faithful with him throughout this whole time. They were children and now they're grown men who are with him. Joshua and Caleb. And then you go to the next book in the Bible after Deuteronomy, the book of Joshua and then you have them taking the promised land. Anybody remember the story about Joshua and Jericho? Marching around. Amen. Here are uh, three ways that the uh, excuse me, three ways that Moses made mistakes in life that I want you to learn from him because he was a real person and the Bible shows us his mistakes. Three things he did that we can learn from. Number one, he got angry. When he killed that Egyptian, most likely he was trying to act as a deliverer without God's leading. What we understand about him and the reason why he killed the soldier by reading in other places like in the book of Acts when Stephen tells his story, uh, Moses' story, is that he was already having a sense of a prophetic call. But what happened was he took it into his own hands. Humility is letting God fulfill his call in his time. I want you to think about this. In time, did Moses deliver his people? Yes. But at that time, was it right to deliver the Israelites? You can do the right thing at the wrong time and therefore then get a negative result. I want you to think about that. You can do the right thing at the wrong time and get a negative result. And really what happens when we do those things, we get angry and we operate out of frustration. That's why the Bible says the anger of man does not fulfill the righteous standards of God. I always love using this example because single adults, you deal with it the most. You can get angry and say, I'm tired of being single, and you can just reach out for a spouse and you will get what you wanted, a spouse of your own choosing. And it will not be the family that you wanted it to be. Young people, you, can, you know that it's time. Uh, there's going to be a time in your life to move out and to get out on your own. But young people can make that happen on their own and turn to be rebellious against their parents and thus suffer by getting out with their friends. People here on the job or working in your business, you can take on something that God said, I want you to do, but not at this time. And it can be too much and turn frustration in your life. Let me give you an example for me. When, when God uh, told me that I was going to be a professor and I was going to teach. I started taking on classes. Well, the last semester of last year, I took on three classes. I took on too many classes and because I was teaching so much, I began to come under stress and get angrier uh, in the home when I normally wouldn't be angry. See, I'm telling on myself, 
Is there anybody here that's ever done something like that? Put yourself in a situation that God says the right thing, but it's not the right time. The second thing that uh, Moses dealt with was low self-esteem. You see, he doubted God, God's call and made excuses not to be used by God. In Exodus 3.11, when God calls him to be his mouthpiece, he said, he said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites this word? So he says, who am I? My friends, you're the one God's talking to right now. I want you to understand this as we're going to get further in the message. Pride is not always self-adorning yourself, being about yourself. Sometimes pride is also self-abasing, doubting yourself. See, some of you think, oh, man, I don't deal with pride because I'm so humble. But when God tells you to do something, do you do it? Or do you go, well, I'm just so quiet and shy. That's not my gift. No, that's pride right there. God showed up to Moses in a burning bush and said, I want you to do this. And he goes, who am I? And then he gets God angry, as a matter of fact. In Exodus chapter 4, he then, God says, I want you to speak these words to him. And then Moses in chapter 4, verse 10 of Exodus says, Oh, Lord, I have neither been, never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf? or mute who gives him sight or makes him blind is it not I the Lord now go and I will speak through you and I will teach you what to say but Moses said oh Lord please send somebody with me then the Lord's anger burned against Moses then he said just take your brother with you then do you know that God's plan was always just to use Moses but what did Moses do? Moses looked at his own self as a sense of what God was going to do instead of what God was going to do through him. He looked at his own abilities. It's like the time Jesus shows up and says, we're going to feed the 5,000, and the disciples freak out and go, well, we don't have any food. All we have is five loaves and two fishes. How many know if God created the heavens and the earth and stars beyond count and the universe that we see keep expanding, how many know he can bring some oros con condules to these hungry folks? How many knows he can get some Jimmy John's? He can get some Vince's Pizza out there. If he's God the creator, what he was doing was testing their faith and who he was. So many times we think when we doubt ourselves, we're not doubting God. No, that is one of the worst forms of doubt and pride. It's because God says, I know who you are. I know I can use you. And you're saying, no, God, I know who I am. You can't use me. So what you're saying back to God is it's impossible for him to use somebody like you. See, that's low self-esteem. When God says something, we're supposed to say, yes, Lord. When he was speaking to Moses going, I'm calling you, the heart of humility says, okay, God. You know, when God told me I want you to have a lot of children, I didn't first think that was a good idea. I'm already having three children, and I'm the best dad in the whole world, and I want to keep having more. Can I get an amen witness from my wife? Amen. Just ask her later. But I'm just being real with you saying. You're being prideful now. I want to be real with you because I believe what God called me to do, I could do. Some of y'all think I was raised in Chicago. You know, I wasn't born and raised here. If you ever forget, just listen to all my y'alls in my sentence. I was born and raised in Indiana to 18, then brought to New Orleans for seven and a half years, then brought here. 
You see, I could be just like you and say, I, I'm not called to Chicago. I don't have family here. I'm not what they're looking for, but I had to trust God. All of us are going to come to a place when God asks us to do something, and we're either going to believe in his ability or we're going to believe in our ability. That's why I don't like teaching this young, these young people this self-help nonsense. You can do it. You're so awesome. No, they are busted and disgusted, jacked up Torah from the floor. We need to stop telling them to look to themselves. They can do it. You got to look to God, and God through you will do it. That's why on college campuses, suicide rates are high. Suicide rates are so high among our young people even right now. Bullying is an epidemic we're facing. Alcoholism, drug abuse, all of this. Because people know on the inside that they're not good enough. And so we don't beat them down and say you're just terrible. But we say let your brokenness, let your imperfection be something that drives you to Christ who is perfect. Let it be something that you drive, it drives you to go to him in faith. I could keep you here all day on those examples, but we'll talk about it more. Lastly, number three, his, his, his mistake was lack of patience and trust. Due to dealing with these people and their consistent rebellion and hard hearts, he doesn't wait for God's word to give water. He wants to relieve his own stress, and he strikes the rock and brings them water out of anger. Why? Because he lacked patience. How many here feel like you're always patient? Really, I just want to know. I mean, are you always patient? Let's just take a couple tests right now. When you're in traffic, let's just start there. Are you patient? How is your patience in traffic? How about when you're in a long line? How is your patience? How about when you talk to people on the phone for your cell phone for a service or whatever? How patient are you? Husbands and wives, how patient are you with your wife or your husband? Children, how patient are you with your parents? And parents, how patient are you with your children? How about your boss or your employees? How patient are you with them? Could you imagine what Moses was dealing with these people who were, were not listening? And yet God still held him responsible for his actions. What does that teach us? It doesn't matter what people do around me or to me. I am responsible to be patient and to trust God. It doesn't matter how bad traffic is, how many people lay on the horn, dear God, have mercy. It doesn't matter how they make a fuss in the checkout line. I am responsible for how I act. It doesn't matter how my children may complain and cry. It doesn't matter how I may not have eaten all day and I feel that my wife's been home and she should have a dinner re ready for me. Help me, Jesus. I need to be patient. I like it when I get to use myself as an example. Don't you like that? But let's look at you now. Let's look at you. Look at your neighbors. He's talking about you now. Three mistakes, anger, low self-esteem, lack of patience. Here is how he's viewed in the New Testament. He's called the deliverer of Israel in Acts 7, 18 through 44. He is looked at as the leader who brought the people out of bondage. Number two, he's the foremost teacher of God's law and the author of the Pentateuch, what we talked about, the first five books of the Old Testament. That means when Moses was up on the mountain, God was clarifying all the oral tradition of creation, all the stories of the patriarchs, and he was writing those down. Bible then even calls him, or calls the first five books of the Bible, Jesus said this in uh, Mark 12, 26, called it the book of Moses. 
the entire five books there, the Pentateuch. Jesus said, that's the book of Moses. What an honor to be considered a teacher of God's word where Jesus calls you a writer of a book, even though we know he was inspired, but it was called the book of Moses. And in number three, he was considered a faithful servant of God, Hebrews 11, 23 through 30. In the hall of faith of, of Hebrews chapter 11, where they're talking about the cloud of witnesses, Moses is talked about the most. Today's message, everybody turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. If you're ready, somebody say, I'm ready. Amen. Let's turn there quickly today in closing. My message will be a lot, strong, uh, a lot shorter than my introduction. But I want to now apply this to your life, being humble like Moses. Let's read these six verses, Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, what type of brothers are we? Holy brothers. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Where are your thoughts supposed to be? On Jesus. On Mitt Romney? No, on who? Jesus. On Barack Obama? No, on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Isn't that awesome? When the writer of Hebrews is being inspired to compare Jesus to someone, he picks Moses. He says, you know, Jesus, he was faithful and he was like Moses. Why is he using those examples? Because to the Jewish mindset who had not received Jesus yet, the author is saying, look to your greatest example, Moses. Jesus is like that guy. And then keep reading, he's much more greater. Verse 2, he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Verse 3, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor honor than the house itself. So who built the Old Testament religion, the Old Testament house? Jesus. That's why it says he gets more honor because he, Moses didn't build it. Jesus built it. And that also gives us the right theology that Jesus was there as the angel of the Lord and the one meeting him on Mount Sinai. Verse 4, for every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful. Everybody say faithful as a servant. Come on, let's say it again. Moses was faithful as a servant. Thank you in all God's house, testifying what would be said in the future. So by his life and his five books that he wrote and a couple psalms that they put into the book of Psalms, he serves as a prophet speaking into the future. He prophesied about Jesus. He said, someone will come after me from among you who will do more than what I have done. Verse 6, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Everybody say faithful in God's house. Amen. I'll just give you these points quickly now. Uh, Numbers 12.3 gives us the, uh, the idea of today's message. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone on the face of the earth. We see that Moses was the most meekest man who walked the face of the earth. Here's a quote I want you to know. Meekness is not weakness, but rather strength under control. When we say Moses was meek, we're not saying that he was weak, but he kept his strength under control. Moses' true humility was shown in his direct obedience to God through his faithfulness. So is being humble just walking around going, I'm humble, I'm humble? 
No, being humble in God's kingdom is being obedient. Do you want your children to walk around going, I'm so humble, I'm so humble? Or do you want them to obey what you say? What will truly show forth their humility? Do you want people on the job, if you're their boss, to walk around going, oh, I'm so humble, I don't want to say anything, I'm so shy? Or do you want them to be great at their position? What I want you to understand, number three, is pride is acting and thinking against the purposes and will of God. In other words, it's the will of man. Pride isn't necessarily always being shy, always being quiet. It's just doing things your way. Here's two forms of pride. The first one is self-adorning pride. Everybody say self-adorning pride. Thank you. To act and think more highly about oneself than what God says. That's when he was in Exodus 2.14. He tried to kill a man to then make himself the deliverer. That was him thinking of himself more highly than he ought. He thought he could do it his way instead of God's way. That's pride. Now, we're familiar with this kind of pride. This pride would manifest itself in the husband not wanting to do devotions with his family, not raise his children right, and a godly woman saying, hey, let's do this, and him stomping his feet, saying, I'm the man, I'm going to do it my way. That type of ignorant thinking is what we generally see as pride. Or a rich man who has money and says, I don't need to give to the poor or to the church. It's all about me and and the little family I have. We're going to build an empire. We're not going to help anybody. We see that as pride. Or the boss on your job who oppresses the workers and makes it all about him but yet is lazy himself or herself. We know that's pride. Everybody say self-adorning pride. But did you know there's another kind of pride? I mentioned it earlier. Self-abasing pride. To act and think more lowly about oneself than what God says. In Exodus chapter 4, he literally argues with God about whether or not God can use him to bring the, uh, bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Do you know that when somebody says, you did a great job today. No, I didn't do a great job. Do you know that? That's pride. You know why that's pride? Because that's low self-esteem. You don't believe what they said. Well, I'm just being humble. No, you're not. You're just being ignorant. Being ignorant is not being humble. If you did a great job and somebody says you did a great job, they don't want you to say back to them, no, I didn't do a great job, because if you think about that kind of logic, you're actually now arguing with them. And if we treated you that way, you would actually get upset. Well, you did such a good job singing today, Adam. No, I didn't do a good job. Well, you're right, you do suck. You shouldn't even be up there singing. How many know he's not going to like that? You see, we sometimes substitute pride, uh, humility, with shyness. And and we think people who are bold are proud, and we think people who are shy are humble. No, some of the most shyest people are the most prideful people. Why? Because they won't say what God tells them to say. They won't do what God tells them to do. They won't be the person God wants them to be. They want to hide. They want to doubt. And they want to call that humility and be spiritual. That's not being spiritual. That's being prideful. When when Moses was arguing with God, that was not humble. When we come up, and I'll use a church example. When we come up to somebody in the church and say, man, we see you with a great personality. Would you mind volunteering, being a door greeter, opening the door? And they go, no, I couldn't do that. I'm too shy. That's pride. That's pride. We see the gift in you as leaders. We want to see you use that gift. And for you to say, no, no, I don't think. That's a form of pride. What is then 
to be truly humble. Look at number four. We are humble like Moses when we are faithful to be who God calls us to be, to say what he tells us to say, and to act how he commanded us to act. Hebrews 3, 5 through 6 says it like this. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house. When God told Moses, you tell them, tell the Pharaoh, I'm going to curse this land if they don't let my people go. When he said that, he was being humble. Well, how dare you, Moses, tell us you're going to turn our water into blood. You're so prideful. Does everybody see this? Moses is prideful. No, when he said what God told him to say, that was him being humble. Why? Because humility equals serving God, doing things God's way. Are you all tracking with me? Pride equals doing things your way. I could give you so many examples. Let me just give you a couple church examples, and I'll give you some uh, uh, outside examples, outside of church. Let me give you another church example. When I stand up and preach like this, somebody could say, Joe, this is prideful. As a matter of fact, I, I have a post right now on Facebook that says uh, by A.W. Tozer that the Christianity of most churches is getting so watered down that if it was medicine, it wouldn't cure anybody. And then somebody gets on there and says, you know, you know, your gospel truth that you think you're the only ones that are right and everybody else goes to hell. Sure, that's great keeping things pure. See, he's an ignoramus. The Bible says he's a fool. Are you understanding? Now, in our, in our culture, that may look like I have pride and he has humility. Let me give you an ex let me further the example. When we say Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life, no one gets to the Father but by him, a Muslim, a Hindu, somebody of a college secular mindset with a comparative religion 101 class goes, you Christians are so prideful. You just think you're the only ones. You think Jesus is so special. You, you're not humble. I like to go to a church that believes in universalism. You see, what's really happening is they're in pride. They're full of the devil. That's the worst kind of pride because now it's dealing with Jesus. They're going to bust hell wide open because of their pride. Why? It's man's way of thinking. If God said Jesus is the only way, humble people believe that. Humble people teach that. That doesn't mean we have to be hitting people on the head and having jihads, holy wars, but we need to believe that. Amen? Let me give you uh, three examples of my life where I suffered in pride, uh, what I think would be maybe not the greatest forms of pride, but just times in my life that I think would be an example for you here. I want to come up with different ones in, in different stages of my life. Uh, the first stage was when I went to Bible college. I remember, uh, you know, hanging out in the dorms, and we would argue theology all the time. And uh, Brother Anthony, who's now a spiritual leader to me and a mentor, uh, had us over at his house. And I uh, kind of picked a fight with one of our Bible college students in an argument because I knew the professor, Brother Anthony, was on my side. I don't know if anybody else has done that, but I kind of did that. And so I was like, Dylan, tell me what you think about such and such a subject. And I can't remember what it was. And then Dylan starts rattling off, and then I'm like, Professor, you hear that? What do you want to say, Professor? And then, you know, he's got like a mouthful of gumbo. If you know Brother Anthony, he's a laid-back guy. And he's like, it's okay, Joe. We're, we're just having dinner. We're just hanging out. And I'm like, no, come on, Brother Anthony. Set him straight. And he's like, no, no, we're just fellowshipping. And then I said it really loud and so everybody can hear me. I go, just be a man. I said to a southern man in his house, which is a whole other type of man, a southern man, I said to a southern man, 
in his house at his dinner table with wife and kids around, just be a man. Well, I found out just how much of a man he was as he rebuked me continually at that table and told me what he really felt about my motives. He said, you want to see me be a man? I'm going to tell you right now, you started this with him. I knew what you were doing. I tried to ignore you. You didn't let me ignore you. You wanted to cause conflict. That's of the devil. You're divisive. And it was for my good. How many want a pastor like that? Amen. I'm glad I got a pastor like that. Rebuked me. I said, Joe, you're in pride. The next example that I have of pride is when I was a pastor and I was leading people and, and I was their shepherd and I was the one they could trust. And, and I'm supposed to be that, you know, that soft shoulder to cry on. Well, you know, it was our habit in New Orleans after every meal we would have, I mean, every service we would have a meal afterwards. And so this dear lady, she brought some red beans and rice and God bless her heart, she tried. But uh, all of a sudden, like three people on our team get sick. And, and I'm not going to be gross in church, but they go, it's the sick where you go to the bathroom a lot, okay? And so they keep going to the bathroom, and we had a service that night with our young people, and, and they were like, you know, uh, Pastor, I'm sick. I'm not feeling good. I think I ate something. Uh, can we all stay home? They were all together, you know. And, 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 and at that time, literally, I was like, I believe that if God didn't heal you, this is how bad I was. This is how prideful I was. If God didn't heal you, it was your fault because of lack of faith, okay? So I literally looked at him, and I go, you don't have enough faith. You guys go back in there. I'm serious. So you guys need to be happy God has changed me, okay, because this is the good Joe. This is like the Joe 2.0, okay? So back then I was not as nice as I am now. So I was like, y'all go back there and pray. So you could just imagine them. They're sick in their stomachs, and I'm telling them to go back in a room and pray. Eventually they all come out, and they're just like, forget it. We're going home, Pastor Joe. We're sick, and we don't care. And I'm, that's good, okay? If somebody ever tells you what I said, you just tell your pastor that if you have to, okay? It's good to stand up like that. So, so then all of a sudden, you know, it gets to be about like, you know, mid-afternoon. We're still cleaning up. And I start feeling this ungodly thing in my stomach. Oh, dear Lord. Oh, I thought it was like a poltergeist. I didn't know what was going on. Alien, the movie, I don't know. It was just ungodly. And when I say it came on quick, it was like, boom. I was like, wow, what's going on? So I started knocking on the door. And I'm like, let me in. Well, one of the homeless guys that I had brought into my house, he was dropping it like it was hot. And he's like, he's like, Pastor, I'll be out in just a little bit. Just give me a few moments, Pastor. And I'm like, no, man, you got to open the door now. So only like one stall in the bathroom. He's like, he's like no, Pastor, come on, Pastor. I'm just using the bathroom. Give me just a minute. And I'm like, listen to me. You open that door right now. He opens the door as he's sitting on the toilet, opens the door. I see him. I don't even know what to do. It's a choice between the toilet and the sink. Toilet, sink. I mean, excuse me, garbage can't sink. Garbage can't because he's on the toilet. It's garbage can't sink, garbage can't sink. I just hurry up and I grab the garbage can. And the man looks at me. He's like, oh, man, what's wrong with you, Pastor? What kind of church is this? You be coming in the bathroom? I'm using the bathroom, Pastor. What is wrong with you? I go, man, just let me do my thing. And if, as if that wasn't God's way enough of humbling me, I'm then like, we're calling off tonight. We're all going home. going to pray. We're going to lay down and get some rest. I lay down. No joke. God have mercy. Thank you, Lord, for teaching me. No joke. I go to bed while I was sick, and I wake up. Yes, my bed was defiled. Oh. 
My bed was defiled. I woke. I went to happen. God, did you have to do? I'm throwing away my bed sheets. I'm going into the bath, cleaning myself off. And I just like hear this scripture in my heart, you know. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I call up the people that I yelled at before, like, oh, we're doing good. We took some medicine after I pooped in a garbage can and on my bed. Here's the last example. So I gave you one from Bible college, one from pastoring. Here's one in the family. So about, you know, six months ago, you know, I love to make babies, but I obviously don't bring them forth, you know, so it's, I get the fun part. And so Nancy, you know, God bless her, you know, for the last month, you know, of, of burying Lucas, the big boy that he was, she's just uncomfortable all the time, and she would get up and wake me up, and I'd be so upset, like, how dare you wake me up? Like, like, I'm, like I'm sleeping, please, not, please, don't make so much noise. <laughs> I can hardly breathe, it's, it's okay, go into the other room. I'm serious. And then so what? You know what I'm talking about this. We're like non-sympathetic. And then like in the middle of the night, like I just hear her in the bathroom. Oh, my goodness, my water broke. My water broke. And I'm like, no, it didn't. No, your water didn't break. It's my day off tomorrow. Literally, she'll tell you. I'm like, it's my day off, Nancy. Come on, your water didn't break. And then, like, I remembered Ish's story where his wife was with us about ready to have a baby, but she peed on herself because she goes to the hospital. The water didn't break. She actually just peed on herself. Well, that's what I thought was weird. So I go, you girls don't know when your water breaks. You're probably just peeing on yourself. It's <laughs> nothing wrong. Just go back to bed. She's like, listen, I'm calling my mom. If you're not taking me, my mom's going to take me. And I just heard this voice inside of me, get up. Before you lose your house and everything, before I, you know, I just don't know what was going to just get up. And sure enough, sure, her water had broke, and we gave birth, you know, she gave birth to the baby that day. But in my mind, it was like my way. It was like there's no way God is showing up, breaking her water at 5 in the morning on my day off. <laughs> Everybody go help him, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand up to your feet? Give the Lord a hand clap. Come on, as the band comes for his word. We love your word this morning, Jesus. Amen. Oh, bless him, somebody. What are areas in your life that you suffer in pride? Things that you try to do your way, but God says, no, you need to do it my way. Has it happened with me and my family? Yeah. Has it happened with me in church? Sure has. Then that means it can happen with you. What I love about these stories is that they teach us that people weren't perfect like us, but God still used them. Isn't it amazing that at the end of Moses' life, even though he didn't go into the promised land, you never hear about that in the New Testament. I don't think they're avoiding it like they're ashamed. No, because they know it's in the Old Testament. But when they look back at those men and women of God, they see start and finish. Did Moses make mistakes along the way? Yes, but he finished. Did Peter walk on water? Yes. Did he fall? Yes, but he got back into the boat. 
A lot of times we look at our life and we get distracted by all of these mistakes and situations that happen between the day we got saved and the day we go to meet Jesus in heaven. Can you put that back there? And so many times, thank you, we get discouraged because we think this mistake, this setback, this prideful action is now costing me all that's in front of me. Where humility is not walking perfect, humility is just being faithful. And when you don't want perfect and you make a mistake, you're faithful to get back up and go again. When Moses was even told he couldn't see the promised land, you know what he did? He still worshiped God anyways. He loved those people. And that part that's written about him in Numbers was probably written by Joshua, a scribe, that finished off some of the latter parts of the book as Moses passed away. And if you read the first part of Joshua and those latter parts of Numbers and Deuteronomy, the respect that they had for Moses could be seen in the stories they told about him. They honored him, not because he didn't make mistakes, but because he was faithful. And can I encourage you just in three ways today to be faithful? Number one, be faithful to God. If you've made mistakes in how you're living for God today, repent, be humble, and now start living for him. Don't be so prideful to say, oh, I've messed up so bad I can never make it right. That is pride. The second thing is be humble in your family. Maybe you're having a difficulty in your marriage. Maybe parents and children. Maybe there's something going on between you and other relatives. Be humble and start by serving God. Do it God's way. And then lastly, when you step out of these doors and you're on that job 40, 50 hours a week, would you carry that same humility there? Well, you did a good job today. No, I didn't do a good job. Just say, thank you. My strength comes from God. Well, we're thinking about giving you a promotion, but we want to know what you'll do in this new category. Well, I won't do much because I'm not good. You could say, no, by the training you've given me, by good strength, I'm going to be better. I'll do this, this, and this. And then when it happens, you can say, you know where that came from? It came from God. Find a way to live humble in your everyday life and point your successes back to God. Amen? Let's pray as the altar workers come. Father, I thank you today that in this house, God, we can walk humble like Moses. Would you right now just ask the Lord to search your heart for maybe two or three areas that you need to be humble in right now? Would you ask the Lord to expose them to you where you've been prideful? Just have them give you some examples now. Make it personal to you. Right now, Lord, search our hearts and show us, just like you showed me, to give my examples. Show our people here today their examples of pride. Come on, Lord, show our hearts. We know you love us. We can take it. We can take the truth because we know you love us. And then now with those examples, would you begin to ask the Lord to change you in those ways? Maybe your area of struggles on the job. I talk to so many men. I don't know why it's just men, but, you know, probably because I talk to men. But men struggle with this all the time. My boss this, my boss that. And they think by, you know, talking about their boss and being angry and all that, that shows how Christian they are. Listen to me. 
If you're a Christian, be humble on your job. If they don't ask you to break the law or deny your faith, stick that job out until God tells you to leave. You may be right, sir, they're treating you wrong, but that may be the provision for your family. That may provide stability for your wife and kids. Come on, I know I'm talking to somebody. Or, or women today, I know so often you come and you don't feel your husband is as Christian as you are. And you're going to tell him how to live for God and you're going to do it quote unquote humbly. You're not going to win your husband over that way, women. Doesn't mean you can't have a voice. Doesn't mean you can't share the word. But read the Bible. Read Corinthians. He says you will win over your husband by your submission. Now, if he doesn't hurt you or have you break the law, just submit. Let God bring him to the church. Let him begin to grow. Show him that you'll follow him even if he doesn't know as much as you do. Come on, I know that's speaking to somebody today. I'm praying for a few more, then we're going to close out. But even as I'm praying, you pray. You pray, and if you feel that, husband or wife, mom or daddy, you got a kid next to your wife, next to your husband, you can grab their hand and just start to pray. You don't have to wait. I'm just starting to lead right now some others in prayer. There's some teenagers in here, and you think you're going to change your family by yelling and hollering at your parents, even though they may not be saved. How you're going to really do it by God's way is by you cleaning your room, getting good grades, coming home on time, and then they're going to say, what miracle took place in your life? You just simply going home with a Bible study is not going to convince your parents to come to church. You living the life of a good young woman or young man will be the evidence of salvation to them. Amen. I want to speak a word over right now. Some people wrestling with politics. I believe in godly leadership. I'll go all day long with you in what I believe we should do in this nation. But I want to tell some of you, some of you have an ungodly heart towards leadership in this nation and in politics. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for those in authority. I may not agree with Mayor Rahm Emanuel, but the Bible says by our deeds of humility, living, living peaceable lives, we can convert them to Christianity. You don't have to agree. You can just disagree agreeably in a way that this culture can respect us again. I'm tired of the Christians always looking like the idiots, the picketers and all. Nothing wrong with I'm just tired. That's the only impression we have. We need to be like the Daniels and the Josephus who bring the wisdom, the answer, the solution to a corrupt culture where in their mind they don't care what God it is. As long as that thing works, they'll do it. That's what Joseph did with Pharaoh. It worked. It got the job done. And I pray by our good wisdom in politics, our good wisdom, that these men will change. That's the only way it will happen. Now would you just raise your hands with me in closing and just say, Lord, take me out of who I've been and put me in who you want me to be. Come on, say this with me. Like you took the people of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. Come on, say it again. Say, God, take me out of who I used to be and put me in who you want me to be, like you did for Israel, out of Egypt, into the promised land. Hallelujah. Would you bless him? Lord, we bless you. We take off the old. We put on the new. We step out of our past into our future. 
Lord, we ask you to bless your people today as we go our separate ways. Help us to not be self-adorning or self-abasing. Let us walk in humble humility, obeying and doing what you called us to do. In Jesus' name, would you bless them one more time as you say amen. Amen. We dismiss you, but if you would like prayer for salvation, prayer for humility, any issue you have, we would love to pray with you right now. Would you come? Otherwise, God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you at Life Groups. And all I need is you.